So uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in our miracle series. And as Steph had said, we're into Acts 16 today. So I invite you to open up there now. But one of the common things we've been seeing through this series is that anything is possible, right? There are no obstacles for God, that God works his best when we're at our worst. And that miracles always kind of come through these messes that we're in. And today's miracle is no difference, right? It's not that if you just believe God really hard and and that you do all the right things that your life is just going to be absent of any kind of pain or difficulty. Uh, It's often quite the opposite, as we see throughout the New Testament. But the hope we have in miracles is that through it all, God can deliver you or sustain you through whatever you're going through. And this really becomes a story of just our attitudes the attitudes of our heart, we believe that no matter what, God is God. And He's always worthy of our worship and our praise. And that through it all, God can deliver you from anything, from whether it's holding you down in an earthly sense and, and whatever is holding you down from a spiritual or eternal sense, God is our great deliverer. And so I pray that for you. I've been praying that for you throughout this series and and all of us as a church, as Christians, that we live with that reality and that it shapes our lives and it shapes our testimony as well. So if you're not already open uh, to Acts 16, we're going to be looking at the prison miracle of Paul and Silas. And we're going to jump right into the action here with uh, verse 22. Let's read together. The crowd joined in the the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately He and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now again, you've probably noticed a theme through this series, and I already kind of mentioned it, that miracles always start with a mess. Right? We, we wish and we hope and we plan for our lives to always go on without a hitch, with no problems, living in the utmost of comforts and securities, but it doesn't work that way. And miracles don't come from those kinds of situations. 
And this kind of challenges our popular theologies or understandings of this day and age that if you just really believe hard and you do all the right things, that everything just kind of works out in the end. Well, that's not what we're seeing here as we started out this miracle account with Paul and Silas deep into this prison cell, stripped and beaten and shackled. They're in a tough spot. And we have the comfort of knowing most of the time, not, not all of the time, but most of the time, that if we're in a tough spot, it's usually because of something we did. right? If you're just honest with yourself, we like to pass the blame on to other people or, or, or try to uh, say that we're just a victim of a circumstance, but more often than not, you are where you are in a tough spot because of a decision you made. And that's a comfort to me because that means I don't need a miracle I just need to stop doing the thing that put me in the place I don't want to be. And oftentimes it's that easy. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're doing everything well and everything right. You're acting in obedience to God and and walking in his commands, and you still find yourself in a difficult position. And that's exactly where Paul and Silas are today, deep in this jail cell. And just to recap where they are, how they got here, throughout the uh, book or the chapter of Acts 16, you see that they're on this missionary journey to bring people to Jesus, being obedient to him and his calling. And if you remember our study of 1 Thessalonians earlier in the year, he references this moment about how he was, uh, Paul was previously suffering and treated outrageously in the city of Philippi. This is that moment. This is the moment he had recounted a decade later to the Philippian church, to the Thessalonian church. And so the guy here, by following the calling of God, that, that through this dream, which he understood to be God's calling, he was to go to Macedonia. And this was like the uncharted territory for them. Now they're going to Europe for the first time, the true unreached people with the gospel of Jesus. And they went straight into the stronghold of Philippi, which is like the Roman center of this province. And they went right to the spot where they would find people. They converted Lydia, who would become kind of a centerpiece of the Philippian church. And then they ran into this this young woman, this young slave who was possessed by evil spirits. And it gave her the power of divination or, or seeing the future. And so her slave owners were exploiting her for money making money off of this satanic gift. And they're following around Paul and Silas and the team, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And you're like, well, that's, that's good, right? That's good press. But the way she was saying this was actually becoming an obstacle. It could have been in a sarcastic way. It could have been pointing people more to Zeus than to God. But regardless, what happened is they drove this evil spirit out They set this young slave girl who's being exploited free. And now the slave owners were angry at Paul and Silas and the team for doing the right thing. And they make up these bogus claims and they kind of invoke this riot that we we read here and got them thrown deep into jail without any kind of trial. It was unjust and unfair. They did everything right and yet they find themselves in a mess. And I'm going to borrow a point I made previously in this series. We call this reinforcement because this is something we have to understand. One of the important truths today 
is that just because you might be in a tough spot, it doesn't mean you're in the wrong spot. Okay? Even if you've done nothing wrong and you're in this tough spot, God might have this deep purpose for where you're at, higher than you can see in the moment. And that, that for us means we have to live with this ongoing trust of God, no matter what we're going through. And we love to make our plans, right? What happens when things don't go to your plan? You often blame God. We are praying so frequently, God, just get me out of this situation. But he might be saying, I put you in that situation for a specific reason. Trust me. And just because you are where you don't want to be, it doesn't mean that you're not where you're supposed to be. God puts you sometimes in difficult positions, and we are to trust his plan, knowing there's something bigger and higher than we can understand in the moment. Miracles always start with a mess. And the example we see in verse 25 is that we can now trust God. We can pray and praise through this situation. You know, they had a choice here. As Steph had kind of highlighted in the kids' lesson before, many ways you can respond to it. And often we have this choice in difficult situations. We could worry, we could whine, or we could worship. We usually don't choose the third I mean, most people I know in this situation would complain. And I know mostly Christians, okay? I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about all the other Christians I know. <laughs> but I would probably complain here, right? Being deep in this jail cell for nothing that I've done. We see here that it was midnight when they began praying and singing hymns. And we can, we can easily miss the cultural context that's happening. For, for us, midnight uh, might mean a lot of different things. It might mean a time of excitement or mystery. For me, it's just I really want to be sleeping. As I get older, midnight means I want to sleep. But here in this culture, midnight was the peak of darkness. It was the middle of the night. And this represented a time of despair and confusion and hopelessness. If you were the, the guard who drew the midnight watch, you were being put into the most dangerous and difficult situation. Midnight meant a lot of things. And so for us, we have those midnight moments in life where you're swept with anxiety and worry, how am I going to make it through this situation? The finances, the relational issues, the health issues. We've all been there in our midnight moments. And, and how do we respond? Now, most of the time we worry. As I think is our natural inclination is to worry about this. And now the situation that's a problem for us is not just the problem. It's, it really begins to lead our life. It, it, we're consumed by the issue. And, and worry is really just a worship of your problem. Now, they could have chosen to do that here, but they didn't. They could have also chosen to whine through the situation and complain and say, you know what? Do you know who I am? We are men of God. We don't deserve this. We did all the right things and you misunderstood us and you lied about us. Complaining is really a worship of yourself. Thinking you deserve better and God doesn't know what you need. And instead of taking this moment to tell all of these other prisoners how great Paul and Silas were, they took a moment to tell them how great God was. 
We can always find things to worry about, to whine about. And let's be honest, we complain a lot more about a lot less than what they're going through right now. And no one's life has ever been improved by worrying or whining. It really becomes cancer to you. It eats you up from the inside out. It affects your relationships and your families. For Christians, when you worry or you whine, it affects the whole church. But when you worship, when you pray and praise God for who he is, it improves your life. It improves your community. And I don't want you to think that the takeaway from this is the moment you start worshiping God, all of your problems go away. Okay, there's plenty of examples in the Bible where they worshiped through seasons of difficulties that lasted weeks or months or years or, or moments that they were never delivered from. But worshiping through your problems doesn't make your, your, your problems just go away, but it takes your focus off of them and on someone bigger, on God. Worship can become your weapon as you go through the battles of life. We look through the examples of the Old Testament. When they went through physical battles, Israel, physical battles, who was on the front line? The worship team. And I don't want to scare anyone here on the worship team today. We're not going to throw you. But the idea here is that there's people out front in the battle worshiping God and singing praises to him, which gives the strength and perspective to the people fighting that this is not my battle. Worship becomes a weapon in your difficulties. But look at the way this verse ends. And the other prisoners were listening to them. At this point, they know who Paul and Silas are. They're the new kids in town, so to speak. But if an angry mob rises up against a couple of people, everyone in the town kind of knows who those people are. Paul and Silas have a reputation as God fearing men. And they have an opportunity now to showcase God's power in front of those around them. And so they prayed and sang hymns to God. And the truth here I want you to walk away with is that our choice to worship during difficult times is more than just a weapon for us to fight our battles. It's also our witness. And how people see God might be shaped by how they see you go through difficulties. People were watching and listening to Paul and Silas. And if you proclaim to be a Christian, people are watching you too. That might make you feel uncomfortable, but it's the truth. How we respond is a big part of our testimony. And so we learn it's not just about where you are in life, what season you're going through, but what are you doing while you're there? God might have a purpose for it. And if you want to be salt and light in the world, it it starts with things like this, worshiping God through the messy situations. And we see here as we continue in this miracle story a, a direct cause and effect. They're in their prison cell, worshiping God in the middle of the night. And then the amazing happens. The first miracle here, which is their earthly or their physical freedom. That suddenly... Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the found, it was so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. 
The chains were broken. Now, in their own power, they were stuck. There's nothing they could do, but in God's power, there's about as much effort as a sneeze. All of the doors flew open. All of the chains came loose. And breaking chains is kind of God's specialty, right? Now, over the last few weeks, I've been asking you to send in your miracle stories. What is God doing in your life? And I I know through that and through knowing many of you and even walking through some of your difficult seasons, I've seen chains broken among the people sitting in this room. There are people sitting here who have been working through addictions for long periods of their life, and now they're free. That chain is gone. People who grew up angry because it's all they ever knew, and finally they gave that over to God, and they experienced peace and joy. People going through seasons of depression or anxiety, people going through financial hardships, people going through physical limitations and sickness, and now they're healed. God breaks chains. Okay, That's what he does. But this is kind of a good news, bad news situation. Paul and Silas were free, but the jailer was doomed. And after this miracle, we see something that might be kind of confusing to some here, that the jailer immediately attempts to kill himself because all the prison doors were open. And in this society, you know, the jailer was kind of given the one job, keep them here. Paul and Silas. But now all the prisoners were free. And we've seen in other accounts that if the prisoners were free, the jailer was ultimately the one held responsible and would be killed for this. So he's seeing this as a moment of despair. All the prisoners are gone. He hadn't even checked on them yet. The lights aren't even on. And he attempts to kill himself to avoid the ultimate painful death of Roman execution. We see here that Our miracles sometimes are not just for us. Because if if this were me, I would have scattered out at the first moment. I'm sweet, I'm free, and I'm gone. And I'd get out of there. But God had a bigger point for this miracle. They stuck around. And if you read ahead, this this miracle isn't about their earthly freedom, though it was illustrating the power of God. If you read ahead, they were going to be set free the next morning anyway. The magistrates came to the jail to set them free when they already could have been free. And the important truth here is that God works in your lives in in amazing ways. He touches our lives in, in more ways than we even know. But every one of these moments are not necessarily just for you. They can be used to point others to him. And that's what Paul and Silas did here. God illustrated his power by giving them earthly freedom, whatever chains they were in. And rather than skipping town and enjoying their freedom, they're now using this to point the jailer to God. And so often we live in this me-first individualistic culture that we think what matters to us is most important. Last week, I, uh, I think just a couple days ago, I, I heard a story. I think it happened in Kentucky. There's news is getting around town that there's super cheap gas at one of the small kind of mom-and-pop stations, 45 cents a gallon or 43 cents a gallon. Sounds good, right? It's very obvious that the gas station owner forgot to put a decimal in the right spot there. 
And so for five hours this morning, this one particular pay at the pump pump had a line going out to the street. And the gas station owner wasn't understanding what was happening until one person finally came in and held up the receipt. And, and, and really, the, the, at first, he didn't understand the, the, the owner, what was going on. He finally had to tell him what was going on. And, and it, English wasn't his first language. And when he realized what had happened, is a similar response to the jailer. Just tears. And, and he was so upset. Because you know what? No one likes to pay $4.30 a gallon for gas. But that man wasn't profiting off it. They make like five cents a gallon in profit off this stuff. But here we see lines of people, this is the culture we live in, who are saying, this is my lucky day. $10, I filled up my whole tank today. And they're, they're, they're reveling in this moment, saying it was, it was a wonderful blessing to them when all of the expense was put on this poor man who owned the gas station who made a mistake. That's our default as people. And it's really sad that that's how we view miracles most of the time, is what happens, what God does to us is for us and no one else. God has blessed you in a way that now you can use the ways he's illustrated a power in your life to bring others to him. It's the greatest act of compassion and mercy. So God breaks chains, but he also saves souls. And that's the second miracle and really the point of this account today. Most people a lot of people, when they read Acts 16, they just stop with all the chains came loose and they could walk out the doors and say, wow, what a great account of God's power. But this is really the true miracle and his true mission is to save people from their sins. And so the jailer, after hearing that they're all there, Paul and Silas stuck around and said, don't worry, we're all here. He called for the lights, he rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. This is partly out of fear, partly out of gratitude. He brought them out of their cell and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the most important question that anyone can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And he's not talking about saved from Roman death. He was already saved by the fact that Paul and Silas were still there. But what he's asking here is, how do I get what you have? How do I know God like you? And this is how it's supposed to work, is when God does miracles in your life and the power is illustrated, you use these moments to bring others to him. God works. We shine his light. People take note. And your job is to point them to Jesus. And the answer here is the miracle in itself. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, both you and your whole house can know Jesus through his truth. And let's just think about that answer for a moment. Okay? They, this, this jailer gave the most important question, and Paul and Silas gave the most important and miraculous answer. What must I do to be saved? The, the, the short answer is that you don't have to do anything. And that's what separates Christianity from every other faith in the world. It's what sets us apart. And last week we talked about the resurrection, how it's unique, right? And we're not making fun of other religions here. We're, I'm telling you what they believe. In Islam, if you asked, what must I do to be saved? Now, billions of people around the world believe this. The answer would be, pray five times a day, give alms to the poor, visit Mecca on a pilgrimage. And the answer is really, through a lifetime of works, 
You can have the hope that you'll see paradise one day. You never know for sure until you die. Hinduism, again, billions with a B of believers around the world in Hinduism. What must I do to be saved? Make the ritualistic sacrifices, bathe yourself in a holy river like the Ganges, do good things, and then hope that when you're reincarnated, you go to a higher life. And not just through a lifetime of works, but many lifetimes of works through thousands of years, you'll hope that eventually one day your soul will find inner peace through nirvana. And that's how you could be saved. This is how it works in every single world religion, even in human logic. I must just do the good things to outdo my bad. But here, the miracle... It's just to believe in the Lord Jesus. To believe that he's done all that's mattered for your salvation. And you've done nothing but but sin and make that salvation necessary. And now all you have to do is just believe that his death on the cross, his raising from the grave as he conquered death, is enough. And now you just confess him as Lord, that he is good and he is God. This is the miracle here. And what we see here in this jailer is that his life changed quickly, quickly. And I want to just give you this important truth to end on today, that no matter what God is doing in your life, no matter what he's doing, there's no greater miracle than his saving work in you. This is the true miracle. And let's just talk about this jailer for a second. All right, he was once... An enemy, now he's a friend. He was once an obstacle, and now he's a partner. He was once a stranger, and now he's a brother to Paul and Silas. And it happened the moment he put his faith in Jesus. And we see this sweet picture of transformation. Right? That in really humility and repentance of what had happened, he not only washes the wounds of Paul and Silas, but he gives them a meal as well. And he's no longer considering them enemies. And the same is true of all of us that once we were enemies of God. That's what the Bible tells us. We were once enemies of God in Romans 5, but because of Jesus and his work of reconciliation, we can now be counted as friends to God, and that we're saved through the work of Jesus. This is the miracle of salvation, transformation. And we see in the last verse we read today that he and his whole household were filled with joy. Nobody is beyond God's saving grace. And that is the true mission of Jesus. God may do some incredible things in your life. And again, there's amazing stories in our own congregation. But if it's only about that, if it's about the stuff he does here in your earthly and temporary life, and you live a very good and comfortable life, but you still have eternity in question, then what was the point? All of it is meant to lead to God's eternal work. It's the great miracle in us all that we simply believe in him and we can be saved. And so as we conclude today, we know that, that anything is possible in God. Right? And I, I believe that, that God can do anything. He could heal, he can provide, he can protect in any number of ways. He has and he still does. But sometimes those miracles are meant to point you towards more. Sometimes those miracles are for more than just you. So be okay with the mess that you're in. 
Okay, you may not be where you want to be, but maybe you are exactly where you need to be. Take joy in those moments and trust that God has a deeper plan. Worship through these trials. Bring things to him in prayer and, and praise him. This becomes both your weapon and your witness as you go through it. And have trust that God will deliver you. God will deliver you. And that these trials have greater purpose than you could ever know in this life. But his greatest miracle we need to rest in. That no matter what happens in this life, whether you have much or you have little, you have eternal life through Jesus. Trust in Christ alone and believe in him as Lord. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you for the miracle of your word, that we can read this, we can know who you are, and most of all, God, that no matter what we're going through in life, we have the promise of eternity with you. And so I pray for anyone here who's finding themselves in a mess, that they're finding themselves scared or worried, that they're, that they're a life that's maybe been embittered through complaining and frustrations, that there is a rest from all of that, and that just is worshiping you for who you are as God. I pray for anyone who's been going through uh, just this, this life of, of reliance on themselves, that they know that there's uh, some great issues in their life, particularly sin, that they know more, we be trying to work their way out of it, but they would have faith in you as Lord and trust that all you've done on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of sin. But Lord, for all of us, I just pray that we would be a good witness of, of what you're doing in our lives, that that we're not trying to fight these battles on our own, but we're, we're trusting in you to fight them for us and, and with us. And, and God, I just pray that you'd be glorified through it all. Like, like this story, that we can use all of the amazing ways you've worked in our life to bring others closer to you. So God, we pray this in your power, in your provision, in your wisdom, and in your name.